The Liberals Gun Corner, a proud progeny of the Gun Rights Radio Network, hosted by Cowboy T, San Francisco liberal with a gun. This podcast is always available at www.liberalsguncorner.com, and you can email us at cowboyt at liberalsguncorner.com. Cowboy T here. Welcome to episode 54. This being the Liberals Gun Corner, we're going to talk about a couple things here. Big surprise, one is politics, and the other is guns. First, the politics. Happy Veterans Day, everyone. Today is November 11th. Just a few days ago, on November 8th, Tuesday, we had our presidential election. Every indication that you saw or heard on the radio, on the TV, the internet, other podcasts, all sorts of media communication, All the indications were that the Democratic candidate, Hillary Clinton, was going to win. And then something odd happened. The voters themselves decided to chime in. (laughs) When it was done, one Donald John Trump had gotten 290 electoral votes, more than the 270 necessary to win the election. The voters, it seems, have spoken. In spite of just about every poll ever run in this election season, uh, and there were a whole lot of them like every hour, it seems, in spite of proactive campaigning by just about every media outlet out here for Mrs. Clinton, and that includes Fox News sometimes, in spite of a near total abandonment of actual journalistic standards by those calling themselves journalists or reporters, And in spite of some dirty pool played by the Clinton campaign, exposed by WikiLeaks, not to mention some significant missteps by Mr. Trump himself, despite all that, the Donald actually won. I know, I know. Against nearly all predictions, the Donald, Donald J. Trump, is now president-elect of the United States of America. He just got through meeting with President Obama, uh, what is it, yesterday, uh, to discuss the changeover. Think about this, folks. The Donald, the celebrity real estate developer, the the, the TV star, the, the New York brawler, if you will. He sort of comes off like that sometimes. The guy who was married to the Ivana, who gave him the nickname. This man is now president-elect of the United States. Wow. Yeah, yeah, color me a little surprised, folks. A little surprised, yeah. But not totally. Uh Uh-uh, I'm not totally surprised at this. The talking heads, on the other hand, oh, they're apoplectic. They can't even talk straight. Oh, they thought they could tell the electorate who to vote for and, and who not to vote for. And that very same electorate told them to go to hell. They don't know what to make of this. The folks at CNN are nearly speechless. The Washington Post people, they don't even want to actually admit it. Oh, man, you should have seen the headlines uh, on their on their uh, webpage. Woo! And if you really want some entertainment, speaking of headlines, you ought to read the ones for the Huffington Post. I mean, it's really, it's really that sad, folks, how they're carrying on. Oh, and get this. Tech CEOs out in California. I still can't believe I'm actually having to tell you this. Tech CEOs out in California are now 
actually seriously calling for California to, I still can't believe this, get this, secede from the union. Yeah, they're actually dead serious. Wow. Didn't know they were channeling, you know, Jefferson Davis there. Might as well be raising that our Confederate flag above their doggone houses because we've been there before, folks, you know, back in, you know, 1860. (sighs) Folks, this was a major, major repudiation of the mainstream media. And that does include Fox News, by the way. (laughs) I noticed that Megyn Kelly has been kind of contrite recently. (laughs) Here's what she said after the election. Quote, I've never seen anything like this, and I don't think we're ever going to see anything like this in our lifetimes. I think you'll never have a result this shocking where people got it this shockingly wrong. Close quote. Huh. After the way that even she attacked Mr. Trump at the start of the, the Republican primary race. Yeah, y'all remember that, that debate? All those people out there? Well, after the way that she attacked him then, I'm not surprised she's uh, shocked. <laughs> right along with the rest of every, of nearly you know everyone else in the media. We discussed this last episode, the level of bias coverage in this campaign. They're all asking, how did he win? Well, as an independent voter who happens to be a liberal, partly a racial minority, and someone who often goes to gun shows, I think I know what happened. I think I figured it out. What you're about to hear is not an endorsement or a repudiation of Trump's win. Remember, I had reservations about both of them, Trump and Clinton. But since Mr. Trump is, in fact, now our president-elect, it's a good idea to take a look at what happened and why. And this is especially true for those of you listening who don't want this kind of thing to happen again. Think of it that way. So you might want to pay attention to this. There are a few things. First, let's address the actual Trump supporters. Now, y'all know I felt the burn. Oh, yeah. And then later, I got behind Gary Johnson after Bernie sold out to Mrs. Clinton. Generally speaking, a whole lot of us, the people, are just plain tired of the same old politicians getting recycled back in. Check out Barack Obama's inner circle. Ever notice that about half those people, you know, maybe more, <clears throat> are, is, are recycled from President Bill Clinton's administration. You ever notice that? Leon Panetta, Rahm Emanuel, they're just two examples. I'm currently reading a book from the late 1990s called Spin Cycle. It's, it's one of Howard Kurtz's books. And a whole lot of the same names I'm seeing in that book are also showing up in the Obama administration. Same's true of Republicans, by the way. Uh, the Bush 43 administration brought in, for example, Nixon's uh, Richard Nixon's Secretary of Defense, Don Rumsfeld, you know, back from the Vietnam era. Yeah. Uh, Rumstud, as, a, as he was called, became not just the youngest Secretary of Defense, but then the oldest Secretary of Defense. So there's a recycle for you. Oh, and they also tried to bring back a disgraced Vice Admiral John Poindexter. Yeah, that Admiral Poindexter, you know, from the Reagan administration, Iran-Contra. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember him? I sure do. So both the major parties do this. And a lot of us are just getting, we're tired of the the same old, same old. 
I got to tell you, that includes me too. I'm tired of it too. And that's why Bernie Sanders was so appealing to so many of us liberals. Remember that. It's very important to remember this in this discussion. It's not just our conservative brothers and sisters that are sick and tired of the status quo, folks. We liberals are too. Notice how the Democrats actually conspired, well, the top Democrat uh, folks actually conspired to derail Bernie's campaign, which we now know about thanks to WikiLeaks. Yeah, Bernie's own party betrayed him. And a whole lot of us didn't like that one bit either. Cowboy T included. Well, now on the Republican side, over there, that's also Donald Trump's appeal. Yeah, at least to actual voters on the ground it is. Check out how the Republican Party establishment, whom I call the RPE, threw everything they had against him. They made a, yes, huge effort. And they failed. John Kasich is still pouting and whining and being crybaby at not winning the nomination. Same with Jeb Bush. A couple of crybabies, those two. Amongst the Republicans, Trump was actually the people's choice. Not an establishment Bush family member like Jeb, not Marco Rubio or John Kasich, who are all part of the machine and thus controllable by the party bosses, and this is well known, has been for years. You know, uh, the people that you call good men. Hey, how is so-and-so and so-and-so? Should we let him in? Yeah, yeah, he's a good man. Yeah, he's a good man. Oh, okay. Y'all know what I mean. <sighs> Turns out Trump, matter of fact, actually owned some of those party bosses, too. <clears throat> yeah, it's true. As he correctly put it during that now infamous Republican debate last, you know, last year, that was the one where Megyn Kelly tried to attack him and he swatted her down. <laughs> the vast majority of his competitors had taken money from, from him, Trump, for their own campaigns. <laughs> Imagine that. Dr. Ben Carson was one of, I don't know, uh, maybe two, uh, two people up on that stage who hadn't. You know what? Because Trump financed his own primary campaign, that bombastic nature of his actually came off credible. Seriously, folks, people like that. People like it when they fund their own campaigns. Same reason why so many of us liked Bernie back then. We knew Bernie owed us the people, not the big donors. And at just about every turn, the people, the actual Republican voters, chose Mr. Trump time after time, despite repeated attacks from not just the media, but senior members of his own party, too. In short, the people finally figured out that they're the ones with the real power, not the party officials, not the talking heads in the media either. And oh boy, did the people respond when they figured that out. Oh, same thing happened after the nominations were completed. Let's talk about that now. Now the nominations are over. What happens then? Well, at that point, the media folks went on a, I mean, a full court press proactively campaigning against Mr. Trump. We've talked about this before. As a matter of fact, we talked about it last episode. Now, to be sure, Trump put his foot in his mouth plenty of times. Oh, God. He certainly had foot-in-mouth disease. <laughs> it became socially unacceptable in many circles. I know because I'm in some of them. To admit support for Trump. 
in very large part because of the slanted news coverage. Well, you know what that did? That ticked people off. I've learned something else over the years, too. One of those is people don't like being commanded who to vote for or not to vote for. That's a very personal choice in our culture. I've even seen homes get vandalized when the homeowners expressed support for Trump. Yeah, yeah, vandalized here in America. Not cool, folks. First Amendment reigns supreme. And that takes people off, too, by the way, Um, hearing about that kind of vandalization just for speaking up. So they just started being quiet about their support for Trump. When they were asked, oh, they'd say, oh, I'm undecided, or yeah, I vote for Clinton, sure, or whatever else. But when they went into that voting booth, they voted what they really thought, and that vote was for Mr. Trump. So, yes, there really was a quiet, silent, and apparently pretty large group of Trump voters. That's reason number one. We'll get to reasons number two, three, and four here in a moment. Stick around. back. We're talking about reasons why Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton this last election. Let's continue with reason number two. Black people. Yeah. Now that I can speak to directly. I can speak to this one directly. And I did at some length at the previous episode. But this time, I will, this time I'll allow Mrs. Clinton to speak for herself. Yeah. Listen to this. How does Hillary Clinton win the nomination? Well, Kathy, you know, there was just an AP article posted uh, that found how Senator Obama's uh, support among uh, working, uh, hardworking Americans, uh, white Americans, is uh, weakening again, uh, and how uh, the you know, whites in both states who had not completed college were supporting me, and in independence, um, I was running even with him and, and doing even better with Democratic-leaning independence. I have a much broader base to build a winning coalition on. That was just eight years ago, folks. Not so long ago. Is it any wonder that black people didn't turn out for Mrs. Clinton the way they did for Mr. Obama? given what you just heard? Maybe I was wrong. Maybe their memories weren't so short after all like I thought they were. Maybe they did remember what she and her supporters felt about black people just those few short years ago. Like I've said before, this is one time when my dad, a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, would probably have not voted for the Democrat this time. Not this time. And neither could his son, not to what I saw. And for those who think she had a come-to-Jesus moment over the last eight years, 
Listen to this. It is and has always been a wet problem of violence. Well, if, if that is, I understand. I understand what you're saying. Also respectfully, yeah. respectfully. Well, respectfully, if that is your position, then I will talk only to white people about how we are going to deal That's with the very I mean. real That's problems. That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. Well, but like what I'm saying is, you, you what you just said mm-hmm. was a form of victim blaming. Right? You were saying that what the Black Lives Matter movement needs yeah. to do to change white hearts is. No, I'm not talking about. I, look, change. I don't believe you change hearts. I believe you change laws, you change allocation of resources, you change the way systems operate. Ooh. Ouch, Mrs. Clinton. Ouch. That was just last year, in August of 2015. And there can be no acceptable context, quote-unquote, for that kind of statement. So, we now know that many black voters either stayed home or voted for either Governor Gary Johnson or Dr. Joe Stein. That act in Mrs. Clinton's stump speeches about black lives mattering now to her, or mattering for that matter to her base supporters of white feminists, just wasn't very convincing. It was just that, an act. And that's really unfortunate Especially nowadays in the 21st century. Well, that's reason number two. Now let's get to reason number three. Mr. Trump is hardly an angel. (laughs) Oh boy, far from it. The way he's put his foot in his mouth is legendary. I would even say it's big league. But then WikiLeaks came along and exposed not just the Democratic Party's underhanded dealings with the media, but also Mrs. Clinton's own dishonesty about those emails and pay-for-play. Mrs. Clinton has, well, unfortunately, been shown to be just as corrupt as the rest of the establishment politicos. That turned off a bunch of independents. Guess what? Many of those independents tend to lean socially liberal, just as I do. Many of them were Bernie supporters, just as I was. Matter of fact, tell you a little story about a socially liberal college kid I know. He's at one of our major universities here in Virginia. He just couldn't bring himself to vote for Mrs. Clinton. And that was his reason. He'd felt the burn, too. Oh, yeah. And there are a lot of those folks. Well, once we all found out what the Democratic National Committee had done to Bernie, that pushed this kid over to Trump by a slight margin. It was a slight margin, but it was enough. Now, while Mr. Trump is far, far from perfect, oh gosh, quite the opposite as we all know, let's face it, he has actually built things. He does have experience running a major real estate enterprise. He is a businessman. His emphasis on fiscal responsibility was like, oh, I don't know, mana, I suppose, to many people who are concerned about the national debt. His emphasis on more fair trade deals and American industrialism, you know, getting that back, that got a lot of displaced auto workers in Michigan all fired up. Same thing happened with out-of-work factory workers in Ohio and Pennsylvania. And he's someone who actually employs people in the private sector, and that's what makes that argument credible. In other words... He's got some actual business success to bring to the presidential table. 
Now, granted, it's on a smaller scale, true, but just the same, Governor Brian Schweitzer of Montana, a Democrat, could claim something very similar. He could make the same kind of claim. He, too, is a successful businessman. Given how far out of whack our country's fiscal house is, folks, and it is way out of whack, getting that in order is a powerful argument. I gotta admit, even I find this part of his platform appealing. Yeah, even me. We do need to fix that, folks. And finally, reason number four. She and her supporters repeatedly played the gender card. Now, before you get too upset at hearing that, before you get too upset, consider this. Had Barack Obama played the race card during his campaign against Mrs. Clinton, he would have gotten virtually zero white Democrat support during that primary. It's true. Turns out many American whites, including Democrats, including white feminists, still get really nervous whenever a black person brings up racial issues. You're playing the race card. You're being overly sensitive. Yep. Sad but true. So by playing the gender card in 2016, Mrs. Clinton attempted to do what she knew very well Mr. Obama would have gotten excoriated for had he tried it as well back in 2008. A lot of men out here are tired of this implicit assumption by too many feminists that men are bad, bad, bad. That often turns away men voters. All these things, all this stuff combined, this combination of reasons, I think that's why Donald Trump won the election over Hillary Clinton and why he is now going to be our 45th president of the United States. Here's something else. It's unfortunate that none of the talking heads are very likely to you know, honestly acknowledge very much of this, if any of it, because it's true. That is how he won. And now that he's won, let's see what happens. Good, bad, or in between, it's certainly going to be interesting. Now, when we come back, let's uh, switch to something a little more upbeat, huh? <laughs> we'll talk about a range trip where the M1 Garand went up against the Mosin Nagant. That's right, the Battle of the 30 Calibers. Marka versus the Soviet Commies. See you soon, comrades. Greetings, comrades. We have glorious Vintovka Mosina, also known as Mosinagant, from Mother Russia. Nothing can beat glorious Mosin rifle. 
And in the other corner, we have the rifle that won World War II, the M1 Garand. <sighs> Crowd goes wild. <sighs> the bane of Nazi Germany and the rest of the Axis powers, the rifle that beat back the enemies of freedom around the world. Equipped with a strong semi-automatic action, eight rounds of pure American 30-06 ammunition, and a ruggedness unmatched on the battlefield, the M1 Garand proved to be more than a match for anything else that went up against it. You see them even today, not just in honor guards, but in actual shooting competitions where a 600-yard bullseye hit is child's play. Decadent Westerner talks nonsense. It's common knowledge that glorious Mosin Rifle, hero of Battle of Stalingrad, beat back more invaders to motherland than puny American pea shooter. Mosin Rifle has barrel that is one kilometer long for more power against invader to motherland. Does M1 Garand have one kilometer long barrel? Net! Maha! Sergei Mosin designed strongest action in the world. Cartridge have rim for better headspace. And if this is not enough, comrades, we have bayonet that can reach across Volga River to haunted deer. So let the competition begin! Okay, that has to be about the absolute worst pseudo-Soviet impersonation ever in the history of the world. And I know that because, well, the guy I was shooting with is himself originally from Russia. <laughs> yep, he's a fellow liberal too, also a fellow firearms enthusiast. So since it had been a while, we decided to have a Mosin versus M1 Garand day. Yeah, it was a 100-yard range about oh, an hour and a half or so away, so we met there for some good, safe, shooting fun. Now, his Mosin is in pretty darn good shape. It's the full-sized one with a 29-inch barrel. Excuse me, one kilometer long. <laughs> well, since I like Mosins, too, he was gracious enough to let me put some rounds through it as well. The ammunition was Soviet-era military surplus, I think from the late 70s, I mean, if I'm recalling that right. Anyway, it was military surplus of Soviet ammo. Once we figured out where it shoots with this ammo... We learned this rifle is able to put rounds into about a two-and-a-half-inch group at 100 yards. Remember, this is with Soviet-era Milserp ammo. And this rifle could do it consistently, using iron sights. No optics, no scopes. It was great fun to shoot. <laughs> it really was. Now for the M1 Garand. I brought this rifle. Uh, this is a rack-grade rifle from the Civilian Marksmanship Program, which I selected while I was down there at their facilities earlier this year. It's one of the better rack grades. Hey, you got to do your part for the economy, right? <laughs> the rifle that I built while I was down there will do an inch and a half with military surplus. But that rifle is essentially brand new. And, in fact, it does have a brand new Criterion barrel. Not exactly a fair contest. So I wondered what a rack-grade rifle was capable of doing, which is why I brought that particular one. Well, apparently rack-grade Garands don't necessarily shoot all that well. <laughs> At least not all of them, to be, yeah, to be honest with you. <laughs> 
We both were hard-pressed to even hit the 8-inch gong at 100 yards. I know good and well I'm not that bad a shot, and neither is my buddy either. Um, sadly, this particular garand gave us more like a, like a shotgun pattern than a rifle pattern, really. This was with the Greek military surplus 30-06 ammunition available from the CMP, and that's actually pretty good ammo. My uh, new Garand will put those same rounds into an inch and a half, like I mentioned. So I know it's the rifle. However, even if it's not exactly a very precise firearm anymore, this old rack grade did function flawlessly, I gotta, I gotta say. And you gotta love that ping after the eight rounds, too. I mean, nothing beats that. Can't beat that. M1 Garand actions are pretty darn reliable and very strong. And this rifle is no exception. It just needs a new barrel. That's all. Well, fortunately, having attended the CMP's advanced marksmanship class, I now know how to install one. And don't think I won't be once it gets a little warmer. So, the bottom line. Which rifle won? The Pinko Kami Mosin? Or the upstanding American M1 Garand? <laughs> Actually, the Swiss 1911 did. <laughs> yeah, my buddy, it turns out, also brought his Swiss 1911 rifle. All war horse from back then, from Switzerland. Even brought some of that match-grade uh, Swiss GP11 ammo. Man, that thing is a laser. The gun practically shoots itself, folks. Um, with the Garand, we were hard-pressed to hit the 8-inch gong at 100 yards. With this Swiss 1911, we were hard-pressed to miss the 8-inch gong. Yeah, this rifle, too, would just would do 2-inch groups consistently, using iron sights. Actually, it would probably do better than that, but, well, unfortunately, my eyes won't anymore. <laughs> but the rifle probably will. Oh, not only that, but that Swiss 1911, with its long barrel, because the 1911s do have long barrels, that it has enough mass you know, that it's actually very easy to shoot. Now, even all day, doesn't kick the daylights out of your shoulder. So, it was the clear winner. <laughs> Followed immediately by its K-31 younger brother, shooting the same GP-11 ammo. Yes, I know, it's match ammo. I know, it's kind of apples and oranges. But, well, the Swiss don't make non-match ammo, so that's all we had. <laughs> Tell you this, the Swiss really, really knew how to make nice rifles that shoot well. Oh boy, did they. Of course, it also helps that they almost never had to use them in actual combat. <laughs> Hitler and Mussolini knew good and well what all those Swiss marksmen would have done to their armies if they dared to try invading Switzerland. Let's just say it wouldn't have ended well for the Axis. <laughs> now I've got a hankering for a K-31 rifle, if I can find one in good shape for a decent price. I thought I had all the guns I needed. Guess it just never ends. <laughs> but this little story, this little exercise about the range trip also does illustrate that old postulate, that old maxim, that old truth. It ain't the arrow, it's the Indian. That Mosin really did shoot well, folks, and it wasn't hard to make it do so. Mosins can shoot. I know the Mauser guys don't like Mosins, but the fact is that Mosins can shoot well, too. And not that it should need saying, but I personally wouldn't want any of those things pointed at me.
Uh-uh. <laughs> Another thing needs saying. Another thing I'd like to point out. It's fortunate for us that we're in a nation where we can enjoy these fine old war horses. Even the worst day at the range has always made me feel better somehow. Not sure why that is, but I know that's true. It's not just for me, either. It's true for a whole lot of other people, too. I don't know, maybe it's a celebration of the fact that we're a, a free people here in this country. Well, it is Veterans Day today. Can't help but think about that. Maybe it's a reminder of the true purpose for the Second Amendment. Hard not to think of that holding those old rifles. Maybe it's just fun practicing marksmanship, generally. You know, it is fun. Or maybe it's just fun hanging out with a buddy you haven't seen in a while. Personally, for me, I kind of suspect it's all of the above. Remember, as a Swiss man put it just a few years ago, the key to freedom is the ability to defend yourself. And if you don't have the tools to do that, then you're at the mercy of those who would do you harm. And the tools for that are guns. And that's true no matter who wins whatever presidential election. I think my shooting buddy who originally came here from the Soviet Union back when it was the Soviet Union, shares that sentiment. This is Cowboy T signing off. Till next time. Until then, safe shooting, keep practicing, and as always, thanks for listening.